Hello, and welcome to Tops 10, brought to you by KTXT Radio and the College of Media and Communication at Texas Tech University in beautiful Lubbock. Tops 10 seeks out successful and influential people in politics and government, the many professions, the physical and social sciences, or the arts and humanities, and asks them to reveal their lives, ideas, and ideals through their playlist. Our format is simple. We ask our guests what pieces of music mean the most to them, and to tell us the story behind the infatuation. Mr. Derek Ginter is our producer-engineer. Dr. Todd Chambers is also a host, but not with us today. Ms. Lindsay Coronado, one of our undergraduate majors, is our researcher. And I'm David D. Perlmutter, a professor at and dean of the college, and originator and sometimes host of Tops 10. Today, I have with me a special guest, Kelly S. Rowe, the sheriff of Lubbock County, Texas. Kelly Rowe was born in Fort Worth, Texas, on Friday, September 13th, 1968. You, all very precise. I think, mm-hmm. you know, police office biographies tend to get the they, details there. They have there. to cover, the, cover right, everything. That's right. In 93, you began your career with the Midland County Sheriff's Office. You started there in 99 in Lubbock, as well as administrative lieutenant of the detention division. You were promoted to the rank of captain in the detention branch and later transferred to law enforcement. Shortly after that, you formed the transition team and selected the initial staff and would ultimately be responsible to ensure that oversight and all tasks were completed to facilitate a smooth transition into the new facility. Kelly then was promoted to the position of chief administrator, which had overall fiscal responsibility for all sheriff's department office budgets. In addition, you were named member of the tactical operations unit. That was our SWAT, I mm-hmm. guess. there, And you were the commander of the honor guard until your appointment as sheriff. On September 16, 2009, Kelly Rowe was appointed by the Lubbock County commissioners to the position of sheriff. Then on March 3, 2010, you won the primary election for sheriff of Lubbock County. Now, you attended high school and college at New Mexico Military Institute. That's that where they sent bad boys? Or, you know. uh, well, actually, you know, it was uh, – that they, they would tell you that, but uh, they really didn't want the bad ones there. They didn't want to ever have to go chase them down. I bet a lot of people came out of there, went to police or military or – That's – yeah, yeah. Pro- yeah, a yeah. high percentage of them. Yeah. You entered military service in the United States Army, and you attended and graduated from the Basic Peace Officers Academy in Midland, Texas. Sheriff Rowe is married to his wife, Nola. Well, welcome to Tops 10, Sheriff Rowe. Well, I'm sure glad to be here. Now, uh, Sheriff, I uh, have some tiny experience in police work, and years Mm -hmm. ago I got a chance, as you know, to shadow a police department in Minnesota for uh, about two years. I rode along with the officers. Uh, I was doing a study of police work. I was fascinated at how police officers, as you may know, are the most overrepresented job category on television. And so people think they know a lot about police work, and certainly they watch shows from CSI to Law and Order to, you know, more street cop-oriented shows. Mm-hmm. What are the top stereotypes that you find in your work of what sheriffs do and what's the reality? Well, I think one of the biggest ones in law enforcement in general is, is it, you know, that comes from, you know, comes from, from the TV shows and whatnot is, is that we can solve every crime within, you know, within 60 minutes. You know, that uh, that comes up quite a bit. And, you know, of course, the complexity, depending on the nature of 
what's just happened and whatnot. They they never go quite that fast. And, uh, you know, you even see the documentary shows like the first 48 hours, which there is a lot of truth and reality into, into that deal, especially when you're dealing with homicides and those types of things that, uh, you know, the, you know, your ability to be able to, 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 to get on to what's, what's happened, what's going on. If you don't have a suspect right at the point the crime occurred, what it's going to take to get, get them tracked down, identified and go. And that's the difference in getting it solved quickly versus it taking sometimes months and even years to, to solve. As sheriff, you know, the role is a little bit different than, than everything else. I mean, we've got a large, you know, law enforcement responsibility, uh, outside, the city limits of Lubbock, but uh, you know one of the bigger the biggest responsibilities that comes with uh, a sheriff in Texas is is that jail operation out there. It represents two thirds, almost three quarters of uh, of your operating budget. Uh, it's the same in terms of your staff, you know, and the responsibility. And you know, this morning I think we're sitting right at just about twelve hundred inmates out there. So uh, you can about imagine that that uh, everything that comes with operating one of those on a daily basis is what really keeps you busy a lot of t- a lot of days. And how many people work for you in the, in the sheriff's I've office? I've got a little over 500 total. You were mentioning about solving a crime within 60 minutes. And, of course, in Law & Order, not only do they solve a crime, but it's, it goes through the court system. Too. Oh, yeah, you get the whole And the I, whole and I uh, remember one of the, the funniest, I guess, in retrospect, funny times would be when I'd go with the officers when they had to testify in court. And in two years of following the officers, they never actually ever got to testify. They would sit there five, six hours waiting, and then a lawyer would come out and say, oh, we, we made a plea bargain. Oh, there was a settlement. And I never saw an officer testify. Uh, I, I assume it, it, it does happen. But oh, yeah, absolutely. what really got me was not only the bravery of the officers in facing very difficult, confusing, complex situations, uh, but also their patience. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I would see them in a lot of scenes where I would have lost it <laughs> if, I, if I were a police officer. But I think that made the, the difference between them, the professionals, and me as just an amateur watching. How do you train for patience and painstakingness that is so necessary for your position well, and people work for you. You know, well, of course, one of those things is to, is you're always reminding them of who it is they serve, you know. And uh, as a police officer, I mean, it goes back to the old television show in the side of the car at Adam 12, you know, to serve and protect. And, uh, you know, you've got to you've got to remind them of that. The other, you know, the other big part of that is, is that, you know, law enforcement as a profession is also a calling. And, uh, you know, we see a lot of folks that, you know, they can get through the front end processes and, and they can get on the job, but they, you know, may not be too successful if they're heart's not in the right place with it. I mean, you've got to have a servant's mentality. You've got to remember what it is, you're, who you're out there trying to help and assist and, and uh, be able to, you know, to deal with those things as they come. I think you and I talked about one day at lunch, a lot of times cameras catch officers at really bad issue, you know, incidents, whether it's a, a mass, you know, a major car, car accident, uh, to even a, you know, a, a terrible homicide or something, you know, and, and, you know, cameras will catch catch officers kind of laughing and doing this kind of stuff and they immediately want to coin that as as uh you know look at them they're not taking this serious they don't they don't you know they 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 don't understand the gravity of what's going on they absolutely understand the gravity of what's going on but we're human also and you know what you're seeing there's some coping mechanisms to deal with you know the terrible things that uh, we all see and the guys that, that that are still doing the job every day have to deal with and see every time they roll up on a bad scene i saw that the officers that i was observing the ones who seemed sort of best at their job and sort of even-minded 
were the ones who had a good sense of humor and a sense of the absurd too, because so many things happened and people people behave really badly in a lot of situations. And police officers, they would describe to me as the world through their window. You know, they would see people do things. People, they often met people at their worst, mm-hmm. either people, either as victims of somebody who just suffered some right. great trauma or somebody who's just committed some some great trauma. And so, you know, it does build a certain level of cynicism, I'm sure, a certain sure. level of suspicion as well. But to, to keep, you know, booting up and coming in every day, you have to have a certain sense of humor about right. the world. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. it and again, like I said, we you know, we're we're you know, you'll see you'll see us go back and forth on each other as much as you know, as as much as anything else. But uh, you know, at the end of the day, like I said, you've got to be able to you've got to be able to tune this stuff out. And uh, you know, sadly particularly after, you know, mass casualty, you know, types of incidents, you know, we see far too high a rate of suicide and those types of things with, uh, you know, with, with folks that can't, you know, can't deal. I can remember some numbers from uh, several years ago, you know, with the Murrow building in, uh, you know, the federal building in, in Oklahoma City. And some, you know, some researchers had gone back, you know, 10 and, and 12 and 15 years later and uh, tracked the number of suicides that occurred with the first responders that were, you know, trying to work through that rubble and trying to, to locate victims and, and bodies and everything else. And, uh, you know, it's uh, like I said, it's it's a tough deal to have to face some of those things every day. Absolutely. Now, the first song that you mm-hmm. listed initially was "I Shot the Sheriff." And, uh, you, <laughs> uh, you told me you were joking around with that. Actually, the, you then listed "Bad Boys" right. by Inner Circle. Although I, I, it's it, it's interesting. Our researcher Lindsay Coronado found that um, there is a line in "Bad Boys" that refers to Sheriff John Brown, which of course comes from the Bob Marley song right. "I Shot the Sheriff." Bad boys. What does bad boys mean to you? Well, you know who who didn't grow up in the '90s and, and watch cops. You know, I mean that that was the theme song to it all. But uh, you know, again, when you're sitting here and and you're trying to come up with this list, you know, and you're thinking of the profession, you know, you've done for all these years, bad boys just come to mind because you know, uh, like you said, we deal with the we deal with the witnesses, we deal with the victims, but most importantly, we deal with the bad boys out there, and and uh, there's there's certainly plenty of them to, to to maintain a high level of job security, but uh, it was just something, and like I said, the I shot the sheriff thing was just a little bit of a joke. Uh, I've, I've had that played for me while I'm walking into a room and stuff, and it just, uh, just, just as it's always just an interesting thing. But God forbid anything ever like you know, like that ever happened. What you gonna do when they come for you? Bad boys, bad boys. 
you no break. That old soldier man, I give you no break. Not even your eyes, you now give you no breaks. Hey, hey, bad boys, bad boys. Oh, what you gonna do? Oh, what you gonna do when they come for you? Bad boys, bad boys. Oh, what you gonna do? Oh, what you gonna do when they come for you? Bad boys, bad boys. Oh, what you gonna do? Oh, what you gonna do when they come for you? Bad boys, bad boys. Oh, what you gonna do? Oh, what you gonna do when they The show was one of the programs that initiated the reality, and I always put reality in quotes there, right. because a lot of the reality shows, as you may know, are, are very scripted. Sure. That is, they'll suggest something happens, and they'll only show certain scenes. And I remember there was a, a particular moment, again, I was doing my study in Minnesota, and I would often go for the night shift, the dog shift, from that was from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. because that's when I had time to do it. And there's not a lot of street crime in January in Minnesota. No. <laughs> lack of victims and lack of brave perpetrators. So it's mostly in-house, uh, you know, affairs and, and so on. Well, it's also uh, cold when you get out of your car too. Uh, so yeah, yeah, all, yeah, all things happen when it's cold. Yeah, I remember there was one evening where nothing happened. There was no call. There was just not a single call. The officer sort of apologized to me. He said this must be so boring. I said, no, no, I'm here to study what you actually do, not the TV version. But we were talking about how if this was a TV ver- version, it would, nothing would happen. It wouldn't even be shown because it would be considered too boring. Right. But yet that's part of police work, too, is standing and waiting for something to, to happen. Well, you know, I always go back to, you know, coming when I came out of the service and was trying to decide what, you know, what the, the next chapter was going to be. And, uh, you know, at one point, finally, uh, uh, you know, a sheriff's deputy from down there in Midland offered to let me go ride with him one night. And it was the same type of deal. It was the, it was the night shift. Uh, it was a weekday. I don't remember particularly which one it was, but it obviously wasn't a Friday or Saturday night when things are generally really hopping. But, you know, we did one or two things, you know, just a couple of calls come in, and otherwise it was pretty slow. But uh, it, regardless, you know, right then, you know, my mind was made up. This was, this was going to be the future. The very next step was, was in standing in front of uh, the sheriff at that time down there asking for sponsorship to the academy. I just knew it didn't have to be an exciting night. Nobody went to jail that uh, you know we were, while we were out and about or anything like that. But just those those two or three brief interactions and incidents that we we responded to, I just knew that was you know that this was going to be the the career. Now, one stereotype of police officers we were talking about the military academy that you you went to is that sometimes they come from people who may not have had the most perfect record as teenagers. They, mm. they may not have been the choir boy. Uh, who went going into police work. Were you a dutiful, quiet young man, or were you uh, I, I, occasionally I, interested I, I, in hijinks? No. <laughs> uh, actually, I really, it really was. I, you know, I think part of the reason that, uh, you know, the military school issue come up it was because I, I wasn't adjusting real well to life in, in, in Midland at that time, you know, uh, West Texas. You know, being born and raised in Fort Worth at that time and that age, I thought that's where the sun rose and sat. And uh, suddenly finding myself in the middle of West Texas and, and some of the things. But no, I really, uh, I really did not have a whole lot of issues or anything like that and kind of like we were talking about before we went you know went live when we went just to tour the 
you know the 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 campus up there at New Mexico Military Institute. Uh, you know, after I took the big tour and saw all the facilities and all the you know all the good stuff about the place, the actual recruiting guy, if you will, I don't, that wasn't his title, but the the one that was responsible for admissions, he he set me down and he said, "I'm going to ask you one question before we go any further." He said, "I need to know something. Is this your idea or is this your parents' idea? Because if it's your parents' idea, we really probably don't want you." Because again, you notice there was no fences, there's no barbed wire, you know, and we're responsible for you when you're here. And if you don't want to be here and you decide to run off, you know, we're going to have to go find you. And, uh, you know, I looked right at him and said, no, this is this is what I want to do. And, and I'm really confident in that. The rest, as we say, is history. Uh, I certainly had some around me that uh, you could tell their parents made the decision for them a little bit. Uh, I think one, of, one classmate of mine that uh, I think everybody knows is Mr. Owen Wilson, you know, uh, actor. I've uh, seen him in a lot of stuff out of Hollywood. Uh, had another young man that was just a talent. Uh, well, you, you you would not see Owen Wilson at least on the screen and think that he's a military school yeah, graduate. I can I can I, I can show you I can show you the annual with his picture, you know, right there in it. Had another young man that was just a heck of a musician, drummer. You know, when when once I got to know him really well and hear his backstory a little bit, uh, he was actually playing with the the New Bohemians when they got ready to sign their contract just before Edie Brickell joined them. His parents were no. You need to. They weren't. They weren't confident in the. Let's go. To, you know. You go into Los Angeles and becoming a. You know, professional musician. And they sent him to school instead. So we, we know what the history was with, with the New Bohemians after that. But they did it without him. So yeah, there, you know, there there were some I was with that uh, you know kind of slipped through that crack. But uh, me, it's coming from me. But on the flip side of the coin, I think if my mother was sitting here, she'd tell you the same thing that uh, she didn't have a whole lot of trouble, getting me through my teenage years. Absolutely. Your next song is Ramble On by Led Zeppelin. Um, Led Zeppelin, as always, uh, ranked as one of the greatest rock and roll bands, classic from my era, although I wonder sometimes how many of our students uh, know exactly what we're talking about. Their their song, uh, Stairway to Heaven, is almost always ranked as like the greatest rock song ever. Uh, most ever, requested, ever, I think, yeah. in history. Yeah. And uh, they have a, they've had a lot of influence. I think they've come back a little because of the connection with Lord of the Rings and Ramble On has uh, some they of the lyrics had drawn a, from there. Sure did. Yeah. What, what does Ramble On mean to you? Well, it was the song that... Uh if I got kicked in the teeth, name the episode. But uh, you know, if, they, if, if times were particularly tough, that song could I could turn that on, just sit back, listen to it. It would really just kind of pull back the the ill feelings at that that particular point in time. And it just suggested, you know, life goes on. You know, this is this is a road bump or you know uh, whatever you want to call it. You know, you just pick up and and keep keep moving along you know hence the you know ramble on just don't get bogged down in in the issue leaves are falling all around time i was on my way thanks to you i'm much obliged it's such a pleasant stay but now it's time for me to go Sometimes I grow so tired But I know I'm about to say I got to do A ramble on Now that I have the time is now Sing my 
always thought that's a, a, a really important ethic that uh, kids might pick up on to their use. You know, I, I'm 51 years old, but I can still channel high school. I remember things were life and death, and I think that's really a problem. A lot of kids, and I, you know, it leads to terrible acti- actions, yes, think does. that, you know, if somebody doesn't love them or they get nowadays I don't know they get it don't get into the right college or something like that it's like the end of the world but no it's just the beginning and so having a philosophy of saying well yeah that was pretty bad but I'm gonna find something else and pick myself up and, and move on that that's not too bad to have in life is it no it's re- it's really not and you know again sadly we just we see so many times uh, you know, and it, it it it's young. It's 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 older. It doesn't really it doesn't really make a difference that uh, you know that people have whatever happened to them, and the only resolution they can seem to come to is a, a long term solution to what otherwise would be a short term problem. And whether it's relationship issues, whatever drives it, uh, again, like I said, all too many times, you know, it, it, uh, particularly for you know for our profession we're out there cleaning that up you know and and uh having to deal and work through those issues and again like i said that was just that one song that i, I don't care how bad i was you know i was feeling at the moment and whatever else I could turn that on and and like i said as soon as that song was over you know you you immediately just for me anyway it just clicked and and uh it was time to just move on your next song is another classic in fact i, I can just imagine you going down in your uh your sheriff's van, you know, with some of these playing loud. Have you ever, ever been pulled over for your music being too no, loud? No, uh-uh. and surprisingly, in my <laughs> youth, you know, when it was, you know, you, you you did everything you could to get every every speaker you could pack into the, you know, into the car to to, to be able to crank some of those up. But uh, no, you know, uh, never never gotten gotten tagged for a sound problem. So. One thing I certainly learned in my observing the police was uh, of what to do when you're pulled over by an officer and what not to do. And it always got me when they'd pull somebody over for outrageous speeding, you know, Mm -hmm. and they'd walk over and then the people would leave the engine running. They'd be fumbling around with things. Uh, the music will be playing real loudly, and the officer would have to knock on the window for them to lower the window. So there's four things which would irritate or make an officer very suspicious mm-hmm. about you. And you'd think, like, we could probably do a little better job in high schools of saying, hey, hey, when you're pulled over, you know, turn the engine off, roll your window down, keep your hands inside. Just, just certain if it's, you know, if basic If it's nighttime, etiquette. turn your dome light on inside. Yeah. Everything to ease that officer up a little bit. I'll, I'll always remember, and it was just funny back in, you know, going through the academy, and there was there was several little highlights I'll always remember, but one officer in there that was going through, you know, basically patrol procedures and doing those types of things where you're you're actually approaching and stopping vehicles and everything, and and his philosophy was was that you need to have, you should have your mind made up whether you're writing a ticket or not before you ever get out of your car. You know, at the time, that sounded, that sounded logical and sounded like it made good sense, but you know, after you actually get out there and you stop a few vehicles, and you do have the fully compliant, apologetic, you know, has some some legitimate or semi-legitimate reason why, in the case of speeding, as an example, uh, they were in a rush. You know, they're late to get somewhere, or or whatever the case might be. To you know, like you're talking about there, the one that's that's going to greet you with, you know, absolute obnoxious behavior and everything else. And I was, came to come to find out after the fact that, you know, really, no, I think I might not have intended to give you a ticket before I got out but thanks to your behavior I think you know I think you're going to get one and and uh, just an interesting thing but you're absolutely correct it's it's something that you have to understand 
that for police officers, for sheriff's deputies, it makes no difference, DPS troopers. When when you're out there and it's 3 a.m. and you're it's dark and you've got a vehicle stopped at the side of the road, that is an absolute unknown. Everything about that is an unknown, you know, to that officer. You know, they're going to react and change their posture accordingly based on, you know, the behaviors happening inside that car. Is there multiple people in it? Is the person fiddling around and looking like they're trying to reach under the seat or between the seat or something like that? Uh, those types of things are going to change that officer's stance on how they approach. And uh, a lot of times we get complaints from from individuals out there. The, the one part that you have to really explain to them is, is that, you know, what were you doing? Uh, you know, because again, if you're starting to reach for things, if you don't have those hands where he can see them or she can see them, you know, when they're approaching the vehicle, you know, don't be surprised at, uh, at how that behavior may change. Yeah, your next song is Limelight mm-hmm. by Rush. It was written by Neil Peart, and it's actually a song about stardom, about being in the limelight, being, being in the public eye. Well, of course, police officers, especially if you're in uniform, you're in a squad car, you are always in the public eye, and you never know what somebody's opinion (laughs) is of you or what they plan to do. Uh, The very first stop that I was uh, witnessed at uh, the police department where I was following them along, I noticed as the officer walked up to the uh, car of the person that he'd stopped, he took his hand and and placed the palm down on the trunk. And I was thinking, what is that? What is that? And then he explained to me, he said, yeah, if I'm shot, I'd like my fingerprints to be all over that guy's car. And I thought, uh-huh. okay, well, that's a pretty good uh, little little device that he's using there. And you never know. I, I was really amazed at, at how little information police officers had at their disposal to make life and death decisions. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, somebody is reaching into their pocket very quickly and quickly pulls out a banana, you know, mm-hmm. or quickly pulls out a 40-ounce beer. Or, and, you know. and you just don't know. And, and so I'm, I guess I'm, I'm pro-police in the sense that when I read about two, two kinds of things in your paper, uh, first, there's a shooting, and, you know, somebody is shot by officers. And I always think, you know, how, how much time did they actually have to make a decision? And I, I guess you must have a very modern version of it now. But I took some training to learn about it on what was then the FATS simulator, firearm training simulator. And that, at that time, it was a laser disc. But it was pretty well done, big screen. And the typical scenario was somebody is asleep on a park bench and it's evening and you go up to them and say sir i'm sorry you're not allowed to sleep here in the park and the person would roll over and of course the scenarios could be adjusted by the instructor and sometimes the person rolled over and very quickly pulled out a newspaper sometimes they rolled over and very quickly pulled out a knife and started rushing towards you you learn how somebody rushing towards you with a knife can go by in about one second and somebody sometimes they pulled over and shot you and by the end of of doing five or six of those scenarios and being killed five or six times virtually, um, I was pretty paranoid, and I was, you know, reaching for my gun even before I I got up to them. So it's truly remarkable how little violence there is in police work statistically compared to how many situations where you are just not in, have any knowledge of what's about to happen in a few seconds, right? Well, and that's just it. I mean, it's 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 going to be the ones that that just absolutely surprise you. You know, you talk about the knife thing. You know, one of the most commonly used training videos, you know, about surviving edged weapons as an example, you know, puts a professional knife user and, you know, a, a very skilled police officer, they set and ran drills on what was just the time that it would take that, you know, if the officer even knows that the 
the individual is armed with a knife, what is the distance and the time that it would take for that person with the knife to charge the officer to give the officer enough time to be able to actually draw a weapon and and and, and take a you know take a shot? You know, I think I think if I remember correctly, I mean that was minimum 16 foot that you had to ha- you know they had to be apart from each other. That uh, you know, like I said again, a highly trained police officer that's that's very well versed in in, in drawing the weapon and, and taking getting a sight picture and taking a shot. 16 feet away, a person has to be. So that's how quick and how close you know some of those things are happening. And this song we were just talking is about being in the limelight. Uh, do you feel that you're in the limelight? I, I always joke Lubbock is a town where you you must always behave properly in public because everybody is one degree of separation from everybody else. I've never met anybody in Lubbock who isn't friends with somebody else I know, sure. I know in Lubbock. It, you you must town. be, um, especially since you're driving in a, in a marked car and you're wearing your, your badge and people know your face, it must be very hard for you to go to Walmart <laughs> No, it and buy just, cookies. It, it comes with it, and you know, of course, it's what's the lyric in the song there? You know, caught in the fish eye lens. But uh, uh, you know, that song, as I was again going through the list and thinking about it, that's had. Uh, I think you hit a great point on you know on police work and police officers in general. But uh, you know, becoming sheriff, it, it's that song took on a whole new meaning in a lot of different ways. Just because again, uh, you're seen a lot. You know, I commonly will kind of joke with folks. They you look familiar. So you probably saw me on TV. You know, so. It, it it is something that, like I said, life does change. It uh, adjusts. You know, my wife is my wife could probably tell you a whole lot of stories about that and whatnot. Uh, but again, it's all good. And uh, you know, the the one thing that I always take away too is because I'm constantly reminding reminding the troops back at the office, no matter what what area they work in. The nice thing is, and the great thing is, is when I'm out and about, whether it's at a civic luncheon, whether it's just going to eat lunch, or whether it's, you know, what it, like going to Walgreens, as you, you talk about. The, the great thing is, is when you do come across a citizen, and they, they, they're quick to tell you that, you know, I just ran into one of your guys. And uh, uh, that interaction, you know, they handled themselves well. They took care of what I needed, and I really appreciate that. And like I said, I, I can never pass that on enough to, to, to everyone within the sheriff's office because I think it's important for them to know that uh, that interaction they had meant something to somebody, even if they couldn't help them. Uh, they might not have had, you know, there might not have been something they could have dealt with them, but the way they treated them, the way they, they uh, showed concern and care, you know, for whatever was, was happening to that time or at that time to them, 
you know, it, it made an impression on them. And uh, again, it just goes back to those core values of what we do and, and why you have to have the, uh, the heart, you know, to do this job and you've got to be in it for the right reasons. Circle by Big Head Todd and the Monsters. Uh, Circle was the third single from the Boulder, Colorado-based rock band Big Head Todd and the Monsters. And Big Head Todd and the Monsters played it on David Letterman. So it was a very famous song. I've never figured out what this song is about. Have you? <laughs> well, I think it is. You know, it's it, it's about life is just a circle and everything always comes back around. And, uh, you know, rise and fall, uh, turn the wheel, you know. Life is simply a circle, but uh, there's several things with that song. Number one, and of course, being a musician myself and having played, uh, that was one that uh, we learned early on and, and, and just thoroughly loved to play. But uh, again, just kind of sitting and listening to those lyrics and realizing that you know everything always comes back around. It always does. So how you handle life, how you treat people, how you know uh, how you conduct yourself every day, everything comes back around. And uh, you know whether we're talking about it being a small world to just thinking, like I said, how what we do today impacts tomorrow and how again everything always comes back to the same you know the same point just again like i said that that song just not only is, is just so great musically but just gives you like i said that feeling that sense of, of how everything always comes back around it seems to me you and me are chasing something yeah What it is, is anybody here want to know? It seems to me you and me I forget there's something, yeah But love is so easily if I pick you up, will you drag me down? If I run to you, will you turn around? Rise and fall, turn away, cause all life is, is really just a circle. And I guess there's a lot of repetitiveness in police work. I certainly saw mm -hmm. it. Um, I mean, th there's something new every day, but it's pretty familiar. What what is sure. what is new? I, you know, and uh, I remember I did my study in the uh, early '90s, so this was actually at the early era of cops. I don't know whether there was a CSI-like show at that time, but I do remember inviting the Hennepin County, uh, Minnesota, CSI uh, Sheriff's Department manager to come and talk to a class I was teaching and he showed crime scene photos talked about crime scene investigation and I always remember one thing he told us he said thank God most criminals are idiots <laughs> he said we, make, society would collapse if we had brilliant TV criminals you know who are like right. masterminds or something like that like that M most of the people he dealt with and he, he investigated murders were people who, you know, left bloody fingerprints all over the house, you know, wrote a note to themselves and left it, dropped their wallet, and they killed somebody in, you know, that they knew very closely that they'd just been seen arguing with. So they were very, it was very lucky 
that if if you know if the, this is why it's hard to deal with cases where it's random or, or there, there's no connection. But th- that familiarity must be really important to your work. Absolutely. And uh, again, you know, and particularly when you talk about like the jail side, the the high recidivism rate that that's a common number I talk about. Uh, you know that that having historically be you know being a number that. Uh, tends to almost hit 90%. And that's not just in Lubbock, Texas. That's over the, you know, completely, that's around the, the the whole country. Again, we are dealing with a lot of the same individuals, you know, every day. And you'll hear us say the same things, you know. Uh, God bless them, but, you know, they're not a lot of times the brightest individuals. And I'll tell you kind of a one story that readily comes to mind that you think about. But again, sooner or later, we're going to find you, depending on what you're doing. But uh, was talking the other night at an award ceremony and highlighting a, a particular case that happened a number of years years ago that turned out to be the largest single drug bust for for marijuana in Lubbock's history that our narcotics guys uh, got. But that that lead suspect, lead actor in that deal, was a college-educated, law school graduate, had actually practiced uh, for a brief period of time as a prosecutor, decides he likes the, you know, the easy money, had a heck of a sophisticated operation. I mean, there's no question about it. It was only a matter of time. And, and for as smart as I know he thought he was, you know, uh, sooner or later, you know, you follow that chain back up until you, until you get to him. And by the time it was all said and done, I mean, we had nearly a million in cash, 15,000 pounds, if I remember correctly, of, of hydroponic marijuana, three houses, you know, and all the other proceeds that came with it. And, and again, like I said, he probably more so than the average really thought he was smarter than uh, than everyone else. And it still it, it helps in the same way it helps when they're idiots. It helps when they think they're smarter than everybody else right. as well. Your next song is Photograph by Nickelback, a, a song about memories. Mm-hmm. In, in your career, what are the maybe one or two most memorable events that you've participated in as, wow. as, an, as a serving officer, some of your different roles? I don't know about the, just the, the, the single incidents out there and those types of things. I've told stories about probably the co- closest I ever come to having to you know, to shoot and potentially kill somebody. That was uh, earlier when we were talking, I talked about the, when we were talking about the traffic stop and you think about, you know, the different things people come out with. And, you know, this individual was ordering him out of the car. It was a felony stop. So, you know, that's weapons drawn. That's everything so else. So you had already, you already found he had a record, so you knew who he was. Well, it was, and, and that, well, it was pursuant to a search warrant. Yeah. And uh, he just wasn't at the residence at the time. And I was tasked to sit back. And if he'd come by and didn't stop, where we had the bulk of everybody at, I was to shut the vehicle down and, and, and get him into custody. And of course, he did just do the casual drive-by, and something didn't, you know, something didn't set with him. I mean, we didn't, we backed vehicles and everything else off. But for whatever reason, something told him not to, not to go ahead and stop and go in the house where he'd have been greeted by, you know, a whole bunch of guys. And so I went ahead and got the vehicle, you know, got him stopped, and and like I said commenced the, the felony stop and I'll, like I said I'll never forget it because I got him out of the vehicle but then he just he looked at me and then he stopped and he turned and leaned back into the vehicle what do you assume at that particular point in time and and uh, uh, as I've told people I just remember releasing the safety that last safety on the on the gun when he and when he came back out you know what was he grabbing but a 40 ounce beer 
in a in a brown paper sack. And uh, needless to say, the conversation after the fact and uh, was 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 interesting. But uh, you know, nonetheless, I mean, you've got those kind of moments. But uh, again, like I said, it's it's you always remember the good things, and uh, you always remember you know that citizen that was was thankful that you were there and you know that you were able to help. And and like I said, you know, when we've solved solved some major crimes and and uh, you've been able to close a chapter for you know for the the survivors or the victims and, and that type of thing it's uh, that's the those are the truly great moments because you you, you know there's uh, at least a partial load off their heart those will be the the, the, the memories I always will carry look at this photograph every time I do it makes me laugh how did our eyes get so red and what the hell is on Joey said this is where I grew up I think the president would have fixed it up I never knew he ever went without The second floor is hot for sneaking up And this is where I went to school Most of the time had better things to do Criminal record says I've broken twice I must have done it half a dozen times I wonder if it's too late should I go back and try to graduate? Last man and now that it was back then If I was them I wouldn't let me in my blood rock is in my blood by sammy hagar now what's in your blood sheriff i mean police work obviously seems to be in your blood i mean you, you just said something really important you can never bring back most of what people have lost i mean right. I, I remember sometimes we we the police officers would get a something as simple as a stolen bike you know or or somebody ripped off their car radio and mm-hmm. and uh and yeah, there was an expectation, as you said, that somehow the crime would be solved when the reality was, you know, sure, when the Messiah comes, yeah, you get your radio back. <laughs> but but in, in many cases, police officers were able to, you know, eventually, the system eventually gave people the ability, as you say, to, to close a chapter. Mm-hmm. And I guess in your position, you're able to see the whole arc of maybe when something develops as a first initial call to when it you know goes to court and there's a, and there's a conviction and there must be some level of satisfaction there is that in your blood that oh, you you can see that kind absolutely. of closure for I mean people? that that's like I said that's a big thing and uh, it, you know and it's not even just so much for me but the ones that are actually now you know today the ones that are actually out there doing the, the the yeoman's work the hard work at at running down those you know running down those leads and 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 chasing chasing that uh, individual to the point of completion and, and seeing 
the puzzle pieces come together. Just sitting back in the room, you know, and, and watching as they, you know, as they're piecing this thing together, whether it's, you know, a piece of physical evidence here or something somebody said in an interview while they were, were talking to them. And you just, like I said, you see that whole thing and you could just see the, the personal satisfaction on on uh, those individuals that, that put that whole, you know, that whole puzzle back together and, and solved, you know, solved the crime, particularly the major crimes. And then, like I said, being able to sit and talk to that parent or that spouse or whatever the case and say, you know, here's what happened and we've got them and uh, they're going away for a long time or worse potentially, uh, depending on the nature of it. And like I said, it's just a, uh, I know for, you know, for the ones that do it every day, there's no greater satisfaction than when they get to tell, you know, they get to tell that person that we got them. It just, like I said, it just makes, you know, it just, it, it makes everything all worth it. And, you know, the other half of rock is in my blood is, again, I was a rock and roll musician for a number of years and uh, sitting sitting behind that, that, that drum kit and no greater enjoyment, especially the bigger the crowd, the better, you know, and the more fun we were having. That's just an unappreciated song there, so I felt like it had to, you know, it doesn't get near the radio time it should have to begin with, but uh, just had a, had a couple of special meanings for me. Now tell us about your rock years. Did you play professionally or, yes. or was it on the side? or The group was all... Uh, what was all the name of the group? Red Level, in fact, uh, we had a few names, some of which probably can't mention on the air. But uh, you know, through the through the days when we were kind of early and just just putting putting everything together. But no, the the final you know the final group and everything. Everybody was professionals. Uh, there was a couple of us from the sheriff's office. There was a vice president from Exxon Mobil. Uh, we had an engineer from Texas Instruments at the time. Our singer, you know, was uh, oh he was an arts. I mean, the the guy could draw and paint and do everything else and uh, at the time he was he was working for a company uh, that that put together the big stages for uh, a, a lot of your popular groups out there you know so whatever whatever they custom wanted that you know that company put together for their their big shows when they'd be on tour but uh, you know it was just a fun time and again we did uh, we spent a lot of time it was a little bit of a challenge when you're playing three nights a week and still getting up and and working a full-time job but uh, again it, it's another memory I wouldn't trade for it was uh, it was a great time Next song is another another famous one from, from my youth as well, "Comfortably Numb" by Pink Floyd. Tell us about what this song means to you. Well, I think everybody knows what the the literal interpretation of that is. If you ever watch The Wall, you kind of know what's going on in the the background. But um, in, in kind of a similar way to "Ramble On," with you know "Ramble On," there was always there was a reason to listen to that song. There was something. But with "Comfortably Numb," just the the song itself. 
was that thing to be driving home to after after a long day. The music, the guitar solos, everything just kind of kind of lets you shut everything else off, you know. And, and like I said, when you'd had when I've had a particularly challenging day or very long day, just kind of eased everything up, let you kind of forget about everything and be able to get home, relax, and and get ready for another day. I guess another secret to surviving in the police world, because there's constant un, unexpected tension, ups and downs, lots of, lots mm-hmm. of excitement, even, even fear and uh, upset, you have to have the ability to just relax. I mean, you, just like you can't you treat the job able- super seriously every minute, you also can't just be so dedicated as to every single second you're in a zone of uh, anxiety or you're you're not going to live very long, right? In this business, right? Well, and you just hear so many sad tales of of individuals that have put a lifelong career into this business, and the day they day after they retire, I mean, they they die. I mean, and uh, again, yes, we got to deal deal with a lot of serious things, a lot of terrible things. You got to live life too, not put yourself in a position to take it so seriously that you jeopardize your health and you jeopardize your your personal your personal life and your marriage and don't pay you know pay enough attention to your kids to where you know you talked early on about having to deal with the, the youth and whatnot but uh, you know standing joke about who's the worst kids out there in the community they're either cops kids or preachers kids you know i think a lot of times that the the literal truth to that is is because the, the job is, is such the focus that we tend to forget those that we're, to, we're, we're supposed to be taken care of and that there is life beyond your shift. Hello, is there anybody in there? Just not if you can hear me. Is there anyone home? Come on, come down. song is 
is Are You Ready by Creed, which is from their album Human Clay, which uh, appeared in 1999. It was ranked number five on Billboard's 200 Albums of the Decade in 2009. It sold over 11.5 million copies in the United States and 20 million worldwide. And one of those that's a great listen, you know, a great one to listen to from the first song to the last song. That was one of the great things about Creed. It's always interesting because you, you know, we, we look at, you know, great songs that come out and they're attached to albums that, you know, there's only one or two good tracks on it that you really like to listen to and the rest are just kind of eh. But uh, Creed, on the other hand, is, is one of those that, you know, like I said, it's a great it's a great listen to from, from beginning to end, every one of the songs. And that particular song, again, just had some, you know, it's always had some great reminders in it, heroes come and heroes go. But more importantly, it's the, it's the aspect of always maintaining who you are, remembering that, not letting, letting those things come, you know, come back to bite you. It's just always a great reminder of what we do with the authority we're given. You never take that for granted. song is Kiss from a Rose by Seal, and it actually came from the Batman Forever soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Now, let's talk about uh, stereotypes talk about, we won't talk, here. We won't talk about Batman. Well, I want to talk At about Sheriff that, Gordon, yeah. uh, uh, Commissioner Gordon. Yep, good man. <laughs> and the police chief, uh, whose uh, name I'm, uh, I'm forgetting uh, in the original Batman uh, series there, but Commissioner Gordon mm-hmm. uh, has had many incarnations. The very first one, he was sort of a little bit of a buffoon. Right. And then in the more recent Christopher Nolan series of Batman became a very serious, uh, right. heroic, sacrificing figure. A different kind of crime fighter than Batman. Batman's code was that he would do anything short of killing somebody to stop, solve, you know, arrest, you know, mm-hmm. get the bad guy. You know, yeah, within, stop the villain. Stop the villain. Commissioner Gordon had to operate completely within the law. Did you think it sort of showed two sides of police work about what you can do but don't do or what you could do and sort of codes and honor? Well, absolutely. I mean, uh, again, we've got limitations. Shortcuts are the, the worst thing you can do. And uh, the courts of, you know, over the over the years and over the decades have, have uh, defined how professional law enforcement today has to operate the things we have to do i mean we just can't we can't do some of the things dirty harry could get away with as an example and i and i think that duality of of commissioner gordon you know to batman i mean just the commissioner knew what what his guys could do and how they could approach things when some of those villains would come in you know they needed somebody that could could operate outside of that a little bit that like i said it served its it served its purpose but the 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 true reality being is again that uh, you know we've got protocols and we've got legal precedents that we've got to follow and uh, we've got to make sure we've done everything 
absolutely correct before we're stripping that person of their liberties, putting the handcuffs on them and sending them to jail. The real thing with Kiss from a Rose, and I, uh, at the time I was putting it down there, I remembered it was part of that that, that soundtrack. Because like I said, we don't none of us that are Batman fans like to recognize the Joel Schumacher <laughs> history with, with regards to the series. But uh, the actual reason that song come to mind is is because that's what me and my wife danced to uh, our first dance was after we got married so uh, uh, that's why that song really holds a special memory for for me and I, I hope so for her too there used to be a gray and tower alone on the sea you became the light on the dark side of me That when it snows, my eyes become alive And the light that you shine can't be seen And your last song, uh, <laughs> definitely famous. I think everybody knows at least a couple uh, lines from Margaritaville by Jimmy Buffett, 1977. And this one seems to go sort of, I mean, it's a relaxation song. Is that it for you? Or, or that's, is there that, something more meaningful there? That's, because the, that's the next chapter after this one that this one closes. I think when I was, uh, again, going through and thinking song to song and, and trying to carefully make sure there wasn't something going to be in the, in the lyrics to get trapped into but uh, no uh, anybody that knows me well knows that uh, the plan once once it comes time and uh, the time is right to retire that uh, the beach is is probably in that future and uh, you know there's no greater song that you'll hear when you're you're under that cabana than than margaritaville it's about what happens when we're when we're done when i when i come to that decision that i've done everything i can and it, it's time to hang it up and and uh, you know kind of live the easier life the big message is, is like I said, I'm, I'm looking at a big ocean and having that, that sea breeze hit me in the face and, and know that you know we, we made it successfully to that point in our life. Well, Sheriff Rowe, thank you for joining us on Tops 10 and thank you for serving and protecting us in the community. Well, it's absolutely been my pleasure. I enjoyed this. This is this is fun topic matter versus some of the stuff we usually have to talk about, but uh, this, is, this was a fun one, so I appreciate you having me. Wasting away again in Margarita But this brand new tattoo But it's a real beauty A Mexican cutie How it got here I haven't a clue Searching for my lost shaker of salt. 
grabbed my flip-flop Stepped on a pop-top Cut my heel, had to cruise on back home But there's booze in the blender And soon it will render That frozen guy 